It's so good to be in the house of God. We certainly welcome you to Tree of Life Church. Amen. Can we give all of our guests a great big hand? God bless you in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, we certainly hope... We certainly hope that while you're here at the Tree of Life Church, you will taste the fruit of the Spirit and see that the Lord is good. We certainly welcome you and are thankful that you are here today. And, and I'm so glad to see Brother Jim Jemison here. God bless you, Brother Jemison. What a wonderful joy to see him. Amen. God brought him out of, an, of a great affliction. And man, you look like you're doing good. And I thank God for that. Amen. Thank you. Just give God some praise for that today. Hallelujah. Amen. And we rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord. We're so thankful for all of our guests. So good to see the ranking family and, and Katie. God bless you. And Brother Van Slyke, good to see you. And just good to see all of God's people here this morning. The Lord is in this place. And when Jesus is in the house, something very special takes place. Anything can happen in his presence. And he can touch your life today. And I, I pray that you will feel and know the presence of the Lord this morning. I'm reading from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 4, 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 2. I'll also be reading from the book of Acts chapter 7, 1 Samuel chapter 4 verse 2, 1 Samuel 4 and 2, the scripture says, the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel, and when they joined battle... Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that it may save us out of the hand of our enemies." So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout. Everybody say a great shout. So that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians which, with, with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that you be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. The Philistines fought, Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent. There was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen, and the ark of God was taken. And the two sons of Hophni and Phinehas were slain. From the book of Acts, the seventh chapter, and I just want to read two verses of Scripture, verses 2 and 3. Acts chapter 7 and verse 2 and 3. He, meaning Stephen, said, Men and brethren, 
and fathers, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Sharon, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I will show thee. And I want to preach to you from the first line of Stephen's message to the men, brethren, and fathers, the God of glory. The God of glory. Could we just lift our voices unto him right now? Lord, we thank you for this day that you have so graciously bestowed upon us. We trust in you and we call on you to move in this house. I pray, Lord, that you will meet the needs of your people. For, Lord, we are nothing without you, and without you we can do nothing. I pray today, O oh Lord, that your word would find good ground, that your word would distill as the dew from heaven upon our hearts and water, water, water this fertile ground filled with the precious word of God, that we may grow into a beautiful tree of life for your glory. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. And amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. This is, without question, a startling passage of Scripture that we have read in 1 Samuel chapter 4. It's not what you would expect. You expect this passage to read differently. We were following it closely, where that the children of Israel were faced with a great enemy, namely the Philistines. The Philistines had <clears throat> arrayed themselves against Israel. This was not terribly uncommon, Israel then and Israel now. And the church of the living God now, continues to have adversary, the adversary to array itself against the people of God. So this was not an uncommon thing. They were, they were quite accustomed to having an enemy, having an adversary that would rise up against them. But they knew what to do. and they, The Bible says that they called for the ark of the covenant of God to be sent from Shiloh to the battlefield, where they would then fight against the adversary, knowing that the ark of the covenant of God was with them. And when the ark of the covenant came down into Shiloh, the Bible says that they shouted with a great shout. And that the Philistines heard the shout, and the shout was so loud and so authoritative, if you please, that the earth rang with the great noise of their shout. And the Philistines looked at one another and said, this cannot be good. They said, God is in the camp. And they've been falsely, from their perspective, thought that there were many gods. And they said, they said that these are the gods that smote the Egyptians. These are the gods that, that have carried this wandering people called Israel through every wilderness and through every battle. Throughout their history, 
these are the gods that we're up against. We're going to have to go fight. And they looked at one another and said, quit yourselves like men, which meant get ready. Pull yourself together. We're going to have to go fight these, quote, gods, unquote. And they go down into the battle. So if I'm writing this story, and if I'd never heard this story, and I had to guess about what happened next, I've got the earth opening up and swallowing everybody who dare encroach upon the armies of God. I've got hail falling from heaven. I got lightning bolts coming from every which direction. That's how the story goes, right? That's how the story should go, right? And yet, that's not how the story unfolds. The Philistines come down into the camp of Israel, and when you're expecting God to unleash a firebolt from heaven, it doesn't happen. Israel is defeated. The Bible says they were smitten, that the Philistines defeated Israel. And furthermore, the ark of God that Israel had so confidently retrieved from Shiloh is taken from among the camp of the Israelites. A shocking, startling development in this passage of Scripture. The reason that they called for the Ark of the Covenant of God was because the Ark of the Covenant of God carried with it great symbolism. Moses is the one who first encountered the Ark of God and the description for the Ark of God. The Bible says that the Lord called Moses up into the holy mountain. Moses was not unfamiliar with God. As a matter of fact, Moses had this enormous, amazing experience with the Lord. The Bible says that that he turned aside to see a burning bush that was burning but was not being consumed. And it was there that he learned the name of God. Something that not even Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob had, had revealed to them. He learned that God is the great I am. Moses knew God. One point God actually struck Miriam, his sister, for criticizing his wife, Moses' wife Zipporah, with leprosy. He, he struck Miriam with leprosy for criticizing her because he said, I speak to some in visions and in dreams, but not Moses. He said, with Moses, I speak with him face to face. Moses had a unique relationship with the Lord. And the Lord had told Moses, I want you not only to have this relationship, you and I, but I want all of Israel to have this kind of a relationship with me. As a matter of fact, when he told him to go back into Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, It was to bring Israel out of Egypt, but not just to bring them out, but to let them have face-to-face relationship with God. But when they looked upon the holy mountain upon which God did reside, they saw lightning, clouds, darkness, cyclonic winds, heard thunder, and said, there is no way. We're walking up on that mountain. You go, Moses. He was like, it's great up there, I promise you. 
It's awesome. I've been there. It's amazing. And they're like, all right, we take your word for it. Take your phone with you. Get some selfies. Let us know all about it. We're going to stand down here and we're going to watch from a distance. Moses goes into the mountain and says, God, they don't want to come up into this mountain. They're afraid of, of the surrounding sound effects. And that's the way the carnal mind perceives God. Angry, full of darkness, full of mystery. It's not until you enter into the presence of the Lord that you hear the still, small voice of God. That your spirit begins to perceive the love and the mercy of the Lord. But Moses was willing, and he did. He went, he went past the darkness. He went past the lightning. He went past the thunder. He went past the winds. He went past what was fearful to look upon, and he entered into the presence of God. And there he stood face to face with the Lord, communing with the voice of God. Now, he did not see God's face. No man could see God's face and live. But, but Moses was speaking with him one-on-one. -on -one. With God. And while he is there in the mountain, God gave him instructions. God was going to show him, all right, since they will not come into this mountain, I'm going to establish a way they can approach me. I'm going to establish a tabernacle right here in this wilderness. And it's going to be a way that they can come before me. They can't come right now because there is sin in their life. May I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that it is your sin that separates you from God. If you've got sin in your life and don't act like you don't know of any sin in your life, if you've got sin in your life, you better hear this preacher repent. And, I, I, and listen, I'm preaching, I'm preaching to the choir, I'm preaching to the congregation, I'm preaching to the man standing in the pulpit. We've got to turn from our wicked ways and turn our face unto the Lord. Because our sin will separate us from the Lord. He is a holy God. And there is no unholiness in His presence. He's a holy God. And there's no iniquity in His presence. There's a, he's a holy God. There's no unrighteousness. There's no rebellion. There's no unforgiveness. There are no transgressions that can approach him. So God said, I'm going to establish a way that they can, even though they are sinful people. I want relationship with them. I'm going to establish a way that they can approach my presence. And he began to declare the end of the matter from the beginning. He didn't start with the brazen altar or the labor of water, or the table of showbread, or the seven golden candlesticks, all which are pieces of furniture within the tabernacle that lead a person to the ultimate, which is called the most holy place, wherein resided the Ark of the Covenant of God. He started with the Ark of the Covenant. He said, take you an ark. Of acacia wood. I want you to build an ark. And I want you to overlay it with gold. And I want. He began to describe. I want cherubim of beaten gold. Situated on the top of the ark. And I want this to have staves in it. And, and holders for the staves. Where that the priests can bear it up upon their, upon their shoulders. And he proceeded to provide an elaborate. Meticulous description. 
of exactly how this ark of the Lord's covenant would be made. And he told Moses, I want you to do this because I'm going to meet you. I'm going to meet the high priest of the Lord at this ark of the covenant. And the sins of the people are going to be brought into this tabernacle. And you're going to sacrifice a lamb. And you're going to take that lamb through the tabernacle and you're going to sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat. And there will be fire from heaven to fall. And the fire from heaven will fall and take the blood from off the mercy seat. And I will defer the sins of the people for another year. Their sins will be atoned for one more year. And then the high priest will have to come in and do it all again. Now this was all symbolic of what Jesus was getting ready to do. Jesus was the high priest. Jesus was the sacrificed lamb. And it was the blood of Jesus that was sprinkled upon the mercy seat. And it was Jesus between the cherubim upon the mercy seat. All of it. Jesus was the showbread and Jesus was the light in the inner court. But it all led up to this most holy place. And the only person who could enter into this most holy place was the high priest of God. And he had to be blemishless. And he had to be spotless. And he had to have no flaw. And he could not have had any interaction with any unclean thing. He was a type and a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he had to be blemishless in a physical way. Clean in a physical way. In order to set the proper standard. Which was Jesus the Christ. And there stood the ark of the covenant of God. And God would speak from this place. The Bible referred to him as he that dwells between the cherubim. The cherubim were angels and they overlaid the ark. Their wings were touching, the tips of the wings were touching, nearly touching one another. And they were looking down at the mercy seat. And, and, and it was, it was a, a matter, ladies and gentlemen, that the high priest would experience atonement for the sins of the people and the people could rejoice that they would not be judged for that year for their sins because they could not enter into the presence of God with sin in their life. This is why it should bring great joy, great joy, great joy when we talk about the mercy of the Lord, the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, the grace of our God. We should rejoice and never stop rejoicing. It should never get old to us. We should never grow tired of it. We should never grow weary of singing about it, hearing about it, preaching about it. There's no new message we need to preach. He saves to the uttermost. He saves to the uttermost. And I don't know what you've done or where you've been or what all you've been involved with, but there is no sin so bad that the blood of Jesus cannot wash you clean from every sin, from every sin stain, from every iniquity. God has the power through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This ark became a symbol of the presence of God. It was a reminder to the children of Israel, God is with us. God is for us. And His glory is among us. And His glory was amazing. His fire, fire would fall from heaven. 
and, and would come down into that holy place. And Israel would stand afar off and watch the, the ma- ma- majesty and the glory of Almighty God. And when it came time to do something extraordinary, they would bring the Ark of the Covenant out. And they would let the Ark of the Covenant of God go before them. And they would see that God was with them. They had become accustomed to this box that represented the glory and the power and the majesty and the mercy and the fire of Almighty God. When they went before the Jericho, before Jordan, and they, and they began to cross the mighty Jordan, the Bible says that the ark of the covenant of God went before them. And the priest carried that ark and stepped down into the Jordan. And when the priest stepped down into the Jordan, the Bible says that the waters were parted hither and thither. They were cut off before the ark of God. The Bible says that when they went to the walls of Jericho, facing this impossible task, that the ark of the covenant of God went before them. And when the ark of God went before them with the priests, Sounding trumpets, letting it be known the glory of the Lord is here. The power of Almighty God is in this camp. The walls began to tremble. The people of Jericho began to understand. There's something about this that we don't fully comprehend. There is a glory and a power beyond our ability to understand. And they marched around those walls and they, 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 they sounded the trumpets of the Lord. And on the seventh time of marching upon the seventh day, they let out a shout. A shout with the voice of triumph. And when they let out this shout with the voice of triumph, the walls of Jericho fell down flat. They didn't crumble around and go scattering every which direction. They were just extracted down into the earth. They fell down flat. Hallelujah. You hear what I'm telling you? There was no match for the ark of the covenant of God. God told them, I want you to put inside this ark, I want you to put the pot of manna. I want you to put manna that was provided for you in the wilderness. Put it inside the ark of God. Because I want everybody to understand that I am Jehovah Jireh. And I'm able to provide for you every day of your life. And I want somebody to know that God is your provider. Hallelujah. I've was young and now am old, David said. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken and I've never seen his seed begging for bread. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Take no thought for the morrow what you shall eat for the Lord knoweth that you have need of these things. Put that pot of manna inside the ark as a reminder that God is your daily provider. Give us this day our daily bread. I want you to put inside that ark Aaron's rod that did bud. Aaron's rod that did bud is an amazing miracle that God did before the children of Israel. When it was trying to be understood who is the real high priest. The Bible said that Aaron's rod and the rods of others were laid out. And Aaron's rod began to bud and blossom. It didn't have any roots that you could see. But it was budding and blossoming. It didn't have any vine attached to it. But it was budding and blossoming. 
Oh, hallelujah. It wasn't in the ground with the green grass all around, but it was budding and it was blossoming. And God said, put Aaron's rod that did bud inside the ark of the covenant of God. I want you to be reminded who the real high priest is. I want you to know about the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to understand who you are. Even in this wilderness, you can be a tree that buds and blossoms. I want you to understand also the commandments of God. Take the commandments of God. The ten commandments of the Lord that God had inscribed in Moses' sight. Moses broke those and then God said, take out two more tablets. And carve into those tablets these commandments. And place them in the ark of God. Inside the ark of God are the ten commandments of the Lord. Inside the ark of God is the pot of manna. Inside the ark of God is the rod that did bud. It is a powerful, powerful piece of furniture. And they had grown accustomed to it. It was nice having this amazing piece of furniture. That when troubles rose, you could go to the ark. And when you felt discouraged, you could go to the ark. And when you felt like you were in trouble, you could go to the ark. When you felt like the enemy was surrounding you, you could go to the ark. When we arrive, though, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, it is a troublesome time in Israel. Israel was far removed from the days of Moses when Moses first received the revelation about the ark of the covenant of God. They were far removed. They, they had never been upon the holy mount. They had only heard the stories. They had never seen a bush that did burn but was not consumed. They had only heard the stories. They had never seen a Red Sea part or manna fall from heaven. They had never seen water come out of a rock. They were distant from God. The Bible says that the word of God was precious in those days, which means it was rare. It means it was very rare for somebody to hear the Word of God. They were accustomed to the ritual. They were accustomed to the ceremony. They knew how to get the fire to fall when they wanted the fire to fall. But they did not understand what it all meant and what it all belonged to and and how God orchestrated it and operated it. They didn't have conversations with God in those days. In fact, it was a shock. It was a surprise when young Samuel heard in the middle of the night these words, Samuel. He thought it was Eli. Nobody heard from God in those days. There there just weren't people praying in those days. There just weren't people talking to God like they talked to God in the days of Moses. Before they had really organized and had things all together, they used to fall on their face before the Lord. They didn't know where their next meal was coming from, so they, they waited on bread to fall from heaven. They didn't know. They didn't have water fountains and bottled water, and they didn't have they didn't have access to sanitary water so they had to smite the rock and water would begin to flow they they depended on God for everything in those days but in these days of 1 Samuel 4 things are nice and they don't have to depend on God or so they think like they once did they really have this thing kind of figured out you don't have to pray as much as you used to have to pray you didn't have to talk to God like they used to have to talk to God and remember they told us how the fire did fall and they told told us how God would visit and how a Red Sea would part and the Lord would bring about a great deliverance. And they rehearsed those stories, but they didn't know the God behind those stories. And so the Bible says 
Hophni and Phinehas were about to take Eli's place. Eli was waxing old in age. These were ungodly, ungodly young men. They played games with the sacrifices of God. They began to exploit people and, 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 and get rich off of the sacrifices of God. And they, and, they, and they began to commit fornications. There was nothing that was sacred to them. To them it was just one, one big party. And they lived it to the fullest. And they were men of great degradation of soul. They had no integrity before the Lord. They were full of adultery and full of fornication and full of uncleanness. And they were the next in line to be priests of the Lord's house. It was a sad day in Israel. And nobody even knew it. Everybody thought everything was fine because we've got this box under the behind the veil and if we ever get in trouble we can just go call on the box and the box will deliver us from our enemies and and so the enemy formed against them and the the Philistines were arrayed against the children of Israel and Israel was ready to fight they they didn't know anything about God they just heard stories about him but they 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 really had the ritual down the ceremony down if you watched it It looked like they knew exactly what they were doing. Because they would go through the routine, they would go through the process, but they were starting to let little things slip. For instance, the Bible says that the lamp of God went out. The lamp of God was never supposed to go out. It was supposed to always have oil, keeping the flame alive. It reminds me of five foolish virgins who in the last days, hallelujah, their lamps will go out in the middle of the night. Which side of that parable do you want to be on? Those that are five wise virgins or those that are five foolish virgins? The five wise virgins had oil enough in their lamps to keep the flame burning through the night. But the five foolish virgins didn't have enough oil in their lamp to keep the flame burning. In 1 Samuel 4, we see that they are a lot like the five foolish virgins who did not have enough oil in the lamp to keep it burning. Remember the old timers used to sing a song that said, Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. I don't know what you're going through, but don't let anything deplete you of your oil. Don't let anything deplete you of your access To the God of glory. The lamp of God had gone out. They were letting it slip. They weren't talking to God. They weren't paying attention to the things of God. And when the enemy came in like a flood, they weren't even scared. They said, go get the ark. We'll show the enemy like our fathers showed the enemy when they went down into the Jordan and the waters were cut off before the ark of God. Go get the ark and we'll show our enemy like our fathers showed the enemy. When they marched around the walls of Jericho and the walls of Jericho fell down flat before the ark of God. Go get the ark. They thought that it would happen like it had happened before. It reminds me of Samson. The Bible says that Samson was, was, was fooling around with Delilah. And he was flirting and he was, he was paying attention to her. And 
He thought he could control this relationship. And he entered into this relationship with Delilah. And Delilah began to, to, to woo him and seduce him. And she began to ask for his great strength. What is the secret of your great strength? And he was, it was all a game to Samson. He had an anointing of God, but it was a game to him. He had a blessing of the Lord, but it was a game to him. It, he, he, had, he had the favor of God, but he was willing to play games with it because he was so enamored by Delilah. And Delilah just kept saying, show me the secret to your great strength. She was after the favor of God in his life. And Samson began to talk to her and, and listen to her, and he began to play games. He'd tell her, this is the secret to my great strength, and it was wrong. He'd wake up, and, and there, would be, there would be Philistines in the room ready to kill him. Samson, that's when you need to understand. You do not need to be with Delilah. But he took it for granted. He thought he could get out of any situation. He thought he could, he thought he could best the enemy in any circumstance because he had this favor. He had this anointing. But, but then the Bible says that he finally broke down and said, the secret to my great strength is that I have this hair that God told my parents I was to be a Nazarite and I was not to put any kind of a razor to my head. And Samson said, said this, is, this is the secret to my great strength. And when he woke up, he had a haircut. And the, and the Philistines break in. And they're getting ready to fight him. And the Bible, this is, what, this is what is so eerie about it. Samson arose as at other times. That phrase right there just crushes me. As at other times. He was going to get up and get his shout on. As at other times. He was going to rise up and open his Bible. As at other times. He was going to rise up and get the Sunday morning service. As at other times. He was going to fight the enemy. As at other times. But there was something different about this time. Something had been removed from him this time. Some line had been crossed. Some threshold had been breached. And Samson didn't realize that he had played games with the glory of God. He had become enamored by the glory of God, but lost touch with the God of glory. This happened with the children of Israel. The Ark of the Covenant comes down into the camp and here came their priests. The Bible said Hophni and Phinehas were there with the Ark of the Covenant. And here comes Hophni the hypocrite and Phinehas the Pharisee. And they come marching down with the Ark of the Covenant. And the children of Israel knew what that meant. It's time to shout. It's time to shout with a great shout. You need to shout so loud that the earth will ring again. And there was no power in the shout. There was no victory in the shout. There was no glory in the shout. Because they had developed a relationship with the glory of God. But not a relationship with the God of glory. It can happen, ladies and gentlemen, that you can become so enamored with the feeling of His presence. 
that you can forget all about who it originates with. And you can get so enamored with, with knowing how to manipulate the presence of God. And, and, and really, what you end up doing is you end up manipulating the emotions of people. And the emotions of people don't have power in them. We don't need an emotional manifestation of human ideas. We need the power and the glory I'm just going to tell you something right now. I do not want to be a pastor in 2019 without the power and the glory of Almighty God. I don't want it. I don't want it. I feel like Moses when I say, God, if you're not going with us, I'm not going either. I will only go if your presence goes before us. I don't want to preach something out of an empty book. I don't want to preach something to you that isn't real or isn't true. I'll only preach the truth of the word of God. I want God. I don't just want his glory. I want him. I want his nature. I want his commandments. And I want I. I want the manna, and I want the rod that does bud. Hallelujah. Don't you live like a devil all week long and walk up in here and think you can shout that away. Don't you live like a hypocrite all week long. Treat people bad. Sin against God. Sin against your spouse. Sin against your children. And then you walk into this house shouting and giving God. There's no power in that shout. You need the God of glory. You're playing games with God, Samson, and you better get up and out of Delilah's house. Hallelujah. 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 You better get back to integrity. You better get back to what's inside the ark. You better get back to those commandments that are inside the ark. It needs to be written in your heart. It needs to be etched in your soul. This isn't some box that you get to tune to your favorite channel and say, this is when I want it and not until then. I don't need it until the enemy has arrayed himself against me. I don't need it until the Philistines have declared war against me. No, sir. No, ma'am. He is God. He is God all by himself if you won't serve him he'll find another I said if you won't serve him he'll find another if I won't serve him he'll find another he has thousands and millions that can stand behind this pulpit and preach his word I need a relationship with him hallelujah oh God help us help us there is substance behind the shout. The Bible says to shout unto God with the voice of triumph. And when they shouted on that day, uh, the seventh time of the seventh day uh, around the walls of Jericho. You know what I love about that? Now we concentrate on the shout. That's the part we talk about. That was like the smallest fraction of that whole experience. Where they shouted and the walls came down. No, that's not how it happened. They walked and 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 walked. I don't know if I'm at 14 yet, but they kept on walking and then they shouted. 
and then the walls came down. See, there's a lot of people shouting, but don't know why the walls won't come down because it takes more walking than shouting. Hey, I'll shout with the best of them. I'll dance and shout and rejoice. But if you don't walk the walk and don't expect your walls to come down until you walk like he told you to walk. What doth the Lord require of thee but to love mercy and to do justly and to walk humbly with thy God? There's a, there's a humble walk that is characteristic of the child of God. It's not a brazen, proud, boastful, arrogant. It's a humble walk. It's a, it's a, I don't deserve to be here, but he's been so good to me. Hallelujah. Hey, you know, I know, I know the Bible says come boldly before his throne. Don't, don't, you got to understand, that doesn't mean come arrogantly before his throne. And that doesn't mean come boastfully before his throne. It means come boldly. Hallelujah. You know, you know what that means? That means I walk into his presence understanding who he is and who he makes me to be. And when I really understand who he is, you better believe, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not just rolling up in there any way I feel like it. If you do, it's evidence you don't know who he is. He is the God of all creation. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And all they that dwell therein, he is a mighty God. He is an everlasting Father. Hallelujah. He is the great I am. He is the first and the last. His judgments are true. His law is perfect. His commandment is pure. Do you know him? Do you know him? Oh, I know you know his presence and I know you know his glory, but do you know the God of glory? I know you can feel him, but do you know him? Oh, God. Hallelujah. I need these walls to come down. And you better walk on Sunday. And you better walk on Monday. And you better walk on Tuesday. And walk on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And on Saturday, you better, you better get your walking shoes on. Walking. Walking, walking, walking where? Wherever he leads me. Walking with who? Walking with God. Hallelujah. Just to walk with him means everything to me. Just to know he's near. His hand is leading me. I'm going to walk with him. Walk with him. You know, we don't walk like we used to walk. We drive everywhere. The Bible talks about walking and it talks about pathways. It doesn't say anything about interstate. It doesn't say nothing about interstate. And yet, and yet, if you know, I'm parked over here. If I need to go over there, this gas pedal works just fine. I'll put this thing. 
back this up. It cut down on, I mean, 10 seconds. If that, probably, probably took more time to drive it than it did to walk it. But we've become so accustomed to fast-tracking our way into His glory. And you can't fast-track your way into His glory. You can only walk into His glory. It's not a drive-through experience. You've got to walk in. You've got to walk in. You've got to walk in. And you've got to walk out of this world and walk into His presence. You've got to walk humbly with your God. And if you've, and if you've grown so accustomed with it, you know, you know. You know how to shout. We know how to shout when it's fast. Cry when it's slow. I know how to, I know, we, we know, we've been, we've been Pentecostal for a long time. We know how to go with the flow. No, 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 this isn't a shouting song. This is a crying song. Just cry. No, 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 don't cry. Now it's time, now get your, you need to get your praise on. Come on, you need to clap, you need to shout. And if we're not careful, we'll start pushing buttons to make the robot work the way we want the robot to work. And God, and pretty soon the enemy's going to come in like a flood, and you're going to go get the box, and you'll have all the apparatus. It'll look like God is there. It'll sound like God is there. You'll have a great shout. You'll have a great program. You'll have a great presentation, and God will not be there. And the enemy will have his way. And you notice when this took place, the Bible says that Hophni and Phineas died. Eli died. And then the Bible says that, the, that he was about to have a grandson, his daughter-in-law, when she realized that Hophni died and Phineas died, Phineas' wife. And, and, and Eli now died. And the ark of God was taken. And Phineas' wife gave birth to this baby. And they came and said, be of good cheer. A man child has been born unto you. And this is what she said. The glory is departed from Israel. Notice what she said. She didn't even say the glory of God. She just said the glory. Because it wasn't about God anymore. It was just the glory. I want the feeling. I want the exuberance. But I don't, I don't need him. See, see, Moses, when Moses asked for his glory... It was in Exodus 33. Throughout the entire book of Exodus, Moses was face to face with God, talking to God, hearing God, speaking with God, receiving from God, taking copious notes, getting ready to deliver this to the children of Israel. He was receiving revelation of the tabernacle and revelation of the high priest and revelation of how the law of God was to be appropriated to his people. And, and, and then in the middle of all that, he said, could you, can I ask you one other thing? Sure, Moses, what would you like? Could you show me your glory. I mean, I, I, I really want your glory. I'm so thankful for everything I've got. And, and I understand. I understand I'm just a mere human being. And you're the great God of heaven and earth. And, and, I, and I, maybe I don't even deserve it. But I'd really like to see the glory of the Lord. There are some people who won't even darken God's presence if his glory isn't there. And Moses is standing in it, bathing in it, just rejoicing in it. And it says, could I also see your glory? What if you couldn't feel God? Would you still praise him? 
What if you, what if you didn't feel happy in his presence? Would you still worship him? What if he didn't attend unto your every little need like he does so often? Would you still serve him with all of your heart? I just wonder, I just wonder who your relationship is with. Is it with the glory of God or is it with the God of glory? See, Stephen was, was in this position. He was, being, he, was, he was being persecuted. False witnesses rose up against him. The Bible said that they, they screamed out, This man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and against the law. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and he'll change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him. And they saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Then said the high priest unto Stephen, Are these things so? Are you a are you a false witness? Are you a blasphemous false prophet? Have you said that Jesus is going to change everything about the, the law of Moses? And, and, and Stephen understands there's like a million places I'd like to start. I mean, I, I want to talk. I can't wait to talk to you guys about when Moses parted the Red Sea and what that really meant. I can't wait to talk to you about the ark of God and what that really meant. I can't wait to tell you about Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob and Joseph. And I can't wait to tie it all back to Jesus Christ. I'll even talk about Solomon. I, there's so much. But he said, before I can get to any of that, understand that the God of glory appeared unto Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before, before, before there was an Ark of the Covenant, there was a God of glory. Before there was a tabernacle in the wilderness, there was a God of glory. Before there were walls that fell at Jericho, there was a God of glory. Before Daniel had lion's mouth shut, there was a God of glory. Before, ladies and gentlemen, before the Red Sea was parted, there was a God of glory. And that's who I bring to you today, the God of glory. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And that Word was made flesh, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Hallelujah. Lord, I want your presence. I want your presence. Not just because it feels good when you're here. I want to know you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I wonder if somebody could lift up their hands unto the God of glory right now and magnify his name. Come on, lift up your hands unto the God of glory and magnify His name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Woo, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I, you know what, I wonder, I, I need those who are in a battle right now. And, and you've come today, and, and you've come today because you needed to feel his presence. I want you to go deeper than that. I want you to go further than that. I want you to have a face-to-face -face encounter with God right now. 
They say, God, I need you to put commandments inside of me again. I need you to put manna inside of me. I need daily bread today. In the name of Jesus, I don't want this to be a, I don't want this to be a, a Sunday morning quick fix. I don't want this to be some kind of a little emotional experience I have that, that, that I'd learn to lean on. I need the God of miracles and the God of peace and the God of all grace and the God of glory. I need the God. I need the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Lift up your hands unto him right now and praise him. Come on, praise him. Praise him. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I need somebody right now who needs him. I need you to come right now in the name of Jesus. I need somebody who needs him. Hallelujah. You need the Lord today. You need the Lord today. Hallelujah. You need Jesus in this house. Bless his holy name. Bless his holy name. You need Jesus in this house. Glory to God. More than a feeling. More, more than a feeling. I need, I need God in my life. I need the commandments of God to be reinstated in my spirit. Hallelujah. 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 Don't give him an empty shout. Give him a shout of triumph. Don't give him an empty praise. Give him a praise that has repentance in it. Hallelujah. Give him, give him a praise that has humility wrapped in it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh. Come on, tree of life. It's not enough. It's not enough to have His glory. We have to have Him. We have to have Him. No, it's not enough. It's empty. It's empty if we just have a feeling. We need Him here. Come on, I need somebody that will cry out to Him right now. I don't want to sing to make somebody feel something. I, I want I to sing. So that somebody will enter into his gates and into his courts and into his throne room. If you can feel the presence of the Lord in this place, would you just entertain it right now? If that means standing to your feet, if that means lifting a hand, if that means coming to the altar, Jesus is in this house and he's looking for people who are hungry for him hungry for him not just his money him not just his connections him not just his power him
That's it. Humble yourself before the God of glory. Humble yourself before the God of glory. Humble yourself before the God of glory. Humble yourself before the God. The God of covenant and the God of mercy. Because he's holy. Praise him because.